Star Wars 7x7 episode 2341 today, the second half of my conversation with Nick Martorelli, executive producer with Penguin Random House Audio. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. So yesterday I shared with you the first half of my new conversation with Nick Martorelli from Penguin Random House Audio. He's an executive producer for hundreds of audiobooks overall and dozens of Star Wars ones, so he brings a world of expertise to the process of delivering a fantastic Star Wars experience to you. And he's done it again with the From a Certain Point of View compilation of short stories celebrating the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. He and the team at Penguin Random House Audio have delivered another awesome set of stories and performances, and we're going to talk more about that in today's episode. A couple of things before we get started, though. First, the reminder about feedingamerica.org that I've been sharing with you over these past couple of weeks. Thank you so much for listening to it and considering it. And here it is one more time. So feedingamerica.org will help direct you to food banks and food pantries in your area so you can support families in need who are dealing with food security issues, who do not have enough to eat, who may be suffering these things chronically, who may be suffering these things acutely because of things going on with the pandemic and the economic effects of the pandemic, with the schools closing as they have been in many cases, and the fact that many students actually get food from school because of the fact that they go to school and need it and are cut off from that lifeline in some cases because of schools closing. It makes it more difficult for them to meet their needs. And so feedingamerica.org is a great way to connect with a local food bank or food pantry to help people right in your local community. Again, that's feedingamerica.org and thank you so much for considering it. It just remains for me now to say thank you so much as always for joining me for the show and may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. And now, without further ado, the second half of my conversation with Nick Martorelli, executive producer for Penguin Random House Audio. So for those narrators that don't have home studios, do they get advised on the kind of equipment that they need? Like, do they get a little, yeah, I think of American Idol when they did this last season and everybody received a kit that had, you know, their full setup and whatnot. I mean, is that the sort of thing that has to happen for this kind of project? Um, a lot of our narrators sort of saw it coming. And so in March, we're developing their own home studios. Oh, ah, okay. But at the time we needed them, they were actually all set up and running. Other narrators have figured it out over the summer and in the fall and have set something up. Um, we did work with a couple places that have like remote recording rigs where we would send, you know, we sent a laptop and a microphone out and worked with an author to uh, like find a quiet closet in his house so we could <laughs> parts. Um, so that was one of the options early on. Frankly, now as like, again, as more studios have started opening up, I still feel uncomfortable asking narrators, requiring narrators to go into a studio. Right. But if, but if a narrator's like, you know what? I, I feel comfortable with it. This is what I'd prefer. We can be safe. And all the studios are following um, guidelines from the Screen Actors Guild. Oh, okay. That, you know, they have to, the, the, the union is supervising all these requirements. So, so it, it, it's, it's been a real sort of great 
assist from the union in terms of like they are they are working with all of these studios to make them feel safe for actors to, not to make them feel safe to make them safe for actors right and so actors feel safe going to them got it i i think that's something that you know just as you know an audiobook listener in general that's not something that you know we consider necessarily it's not just what the public safety or public health safety guidelines are in a particular location, but it's also in an industry situation as well. The people that are you know, working in that professional capacity and their definitions and their restrictions and how they are trying to address it from not only from an employee perspective, but from a union perspective, too. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, you think about, you know, I was just watching. I was just watching the football games over the weekend and, you know, they were talking about that idea where, you know, before the season started, they would let players just opt out with, you know, no harm, no foul, nothing. But if you don't want to play this year, we totally understand. Yeah. If you do, here are all of the ways we're going to try to keep you safe. Here are all the things we're going to mandate, require, suggest, support, et cetera, et cetera. So like there is this sort of like, um, multi-pronged attack of this sort of like yep if you record at home and we direct you over zoom or skype perfect if you want to come into the studio it is my job as a producer to make that as safe as it can be to support however you'd like to do it yeah excellent so how do you do it with in in this particular case with people where you have multiple narrators and i'm going to ask you that question in and around one particular story, which is set by Daniel Jose Older. And that one, I think, created a particular challenge because for anybody listening who's not yet familiar with that story, it is essentially one person's or one character's written magazine piece. And there is an editing droid that has comments on it. When it's presented in the book form, you actually get to see sidebars and strike throughs and all of the editing stuff. But the actual delivery of that in an audiobook format is tremendous and inspired. And I would love to know what you did <laughs> when you first saw that come in. And because you obviously had to look at a hard copy of it and think to yourself, oh my gosh, how are we going to translate this? And so what was that process like? And then if you would mind continuing on to talk about the process of doing a story like that that has multiple narrators and how you do it in the current scenario sure um well it's easier actually to tackle the second question first because the way we do it in the current scenario is honestly to record everybody's part by themselves oh, okay so, you know sean reads the story straight through and then in his session and then in sunila's session you know two days later or whatever it is she reads her sidebar comments uh it's the same way we did the um faith in an old friend where January, Sunila, and Emily, in their own sessions, read their parts of that story. Oh, fascinating. Okay. And then it is all assembled with our editors. Our, you know, our, our editors and sound mixers assemble all the pieces to, to make it a cohesive thing. Got it. And again, this is the same way we did Afro. This is very similar to ways we did some of Dooku we had to record this way. Mm. So, you know, this is something that, and this is, this is something that we're, we do all the time we're very familiar with. Um, but it is a challenge to sort of like keep every actor in the same headspace mm -hmm. that they are trying to match a performance that they have not heard or maybe that has not yet happened and trying to keep everybody in the same zone of the story. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, 
as opposed to, you know, Mark Thompson playing all the pilots where he can just like, it's just him. It's his tour de force. He can do whatever he wants. There's nothing he has to match and fit into in the same way. Because he's doing his own matching for all intents and purposes. Exactly. So he, you know, like with a, with a full cast thing, you need to make sure that everybody is pacing the story well and pacing the story uh, consistently, which is, uh, which is one of the challenges of multicast when the cast's not together. Right. Um, but in terms of how we approached it, uh, you're exactly right that I saw the print copy thing. I was like, oh, well, this is going to be fun. Let's figure this one out. Um, and then from there, it becomes a sort of um, trying to really figure out what the what the core of the story is and and figure out how to approach that and, and translate that into audio. Right. Because there are some sometimes there'll be jokes on the page or references on the page that just are visual jokes that aren't going to work out loud. So, you know, we might have to just kind of omit those jokes because it's going to take a lot more time to sort of like explain a misspelled word than it would be to just make it funny and just moving over it. Right. So once we sort of embrace the idea that's like, okay, well, there's a voice reading the story and then there's the droid who is delivering the notes. And then it became about figuring out, okay, well, the, the thrust of it is the story that's being told. So that narrator who ends up who is uh, Sean. That narrator needs to tell that story and find, you know, the emotional beats, the resonance, the, the sort of like drama of the story. As if he is telling it without interruption, because that's the way the he as a journalist is actually writing the piece. Right. He's writing right. it without being interrupted by the droid. So he needs to find a very truthful earnestness in the story and then you flip over to the droid who needs to find the sort of like increasing exasperation with the comments the um the sort of like commenting on the action without interrupting the action mm -hmm. kind of feeling to it and then it also becomes a, a a puzzle of assembly you know the comment is on the word in the middle of the sentence but we have to make the comment happen at the end of the sentence in the audiobook. So what's the right rhythm here to sort of figure out where the joke lands? How does the joke tell? You know, like, can we hold this comment for long enough that people are still going to remember what it refers to? Mm. Kind of, you know, at that point, it becomes kind of like an art form of a dance, sort of painting out this idea out loud. And this is this is one of the things I enjoy so much about working on audiobooks, you know, like, uh, Daniel wrote a story that is very fun when you look at it. And it's our job to figure out how to make that story very fun when you hear it out loud, which will require translating it into a new into a new language. So sometimes it's shifted around, sometimes it's you know elided, sometimes things are moved, sometimes things are spelled out a little bit, but it is all about trying to evoke the same, reaction that you have when you read the book when you hear this short story and i think you've done an excellent job with it and it's interesting that you talk about looking at a, a joke on the page based on say for example the editorial marks that are made and like a misspelling and thinking that you 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 can't necessarily do anything with that but the 
reverse actually seems to happen as well, in particular with the delete grandpa repetitions that happen, which on the page, it's just grandpa and strike through for the most part. And yet in the actual audiobook version, I think you've elevated that into a joke with Sunila Nankani having to say delete grandpa in so many different variations with, as you mentioned, the increasing exasperation. It, I, I think that actually elevates the story even further. And that's exactly, thank you. That's exactly what I mean about that translation. You know, like when you look at it on the page and you see all of those strike throughs of the same word, that looks funny. Yeah. And so in order to get the same, get the same punchline, you have to hear the droids increasing. Like I've told you this before, delete Gramp, like you have to get that <laughs> um, in order for that joke to land, as opposed to if it were just a cold robotic every time kind of thing. Like that, that, that increasing frustration is the same punchline when you see it over and over and over down a single page. Right. It's the same kind of, it's the same punchline to different setups. <laughs> so. Let's talk about you for a second and your own experience going through these stories and being a part of the audiobook narration recordings and whatnot. Do you have any particular personal favorites or any stories that changed the way that you looked at The Empire Strikes Back or those particular scenes of The Empire Strikes Back? Anything that really jumped out at you? Well, this is always like trying to choose favorite children, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but of course I have of course I'll answer this um, <laughs> of course everyone has favorite children right that's just yes. the right word um, <laughs> the stories in these collections that I always like the most are the ones that really sort of take moments in the film and blow them up from the other side of the conversation you know like just off the top of my, you know, like looking down the list of these stories, you know, the idea that there is somebody behind the probe droids in the opening scene mm. with uh, Eyes of the Empire, I think is a great one. And the idea that that operator then returns to look at the devastation of Hoth is a great sort of like, yeah, there there would be people who are re responsible for looking at all of those droids you don't see in the open, you know, all of those droids that are launched are looking at other places. So there's obviously somebody who's there. Right. Looking. Um, stuff like that. A good kiss with the guy at the box who comes between Han and Leia in the corridor is another one where it's just like, it's just this extra, this day player on the set, you know, 40 years ago. <laughs> now is like one step closer to having his own action figure. You know, it's that kind of thing that, that, that I really love. Um, she will keep them warm is the Wampa that uh that han rides out to find luke um i'm looking through the rest yeah so but like all of these stories of sort of like the main characters that we know are are always my favorite like the one about admiral ozel the one about general veers um the one from the point of view of the cave on dagobah is that a is a trip that one is a trip um and this one, this one also has a lot of like uh, a lot of like what the bounty hunters are up to around the edges of the film, which is a, a fantastic sort of like subgenre of these stories. Yeah. 
because you know they are on screen for you know all of a minute and we get to sort of see all of their different reactions to vader which i think is a lot of fun mm-hmm. the way they all sort of have different and different and specific interactions with the empire i think is really cool um and then uh, we've mentioned it a bunch of times with faith in an old friend with the millennium collective yeah is another that to me is a great one that takes everything that has happened in the universe since the film and makes the film make more sense. You know what I mean? Like now that we know about um, Rogue Two is another example of this. Yeah. Now that we know the story of Jyn Erso and Rogue One, it makes total sense. Of course, Luke and the pilots on Hoth would know that story. Right. Of course, they're going to sort of, you know, she is going to be in their thoughts. The Battle of Scarif is going to be this known entity. So having the um, having the propagandist trying to interview people is uh, is a great touch. Having um, um, having them retire the Rogue One call sign after the events of the movie is a great one, because it's true. You know, there is no Rogue One in Empire Strikes Back, and it's just there's no reason for it. And and this one finds that reason. Um, and, uh, yeah, the Millennium Collective is the same thing. Now that we know L3 is part of the Falcon, to actually connect all of those dots in this story, I think, gives a beautiful resonance to what is actually happening in The Empire Strikes Back. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think, you know, one of the things that, thanks to reading and listening to the audiobook version of From a Certain Point of View, I am really excited to be able to go back to the empire strikes back and watch it with the knowledge of all of these other stories because most of these characters we do see on screen you mentioned the eyes of the empire one and we don't see the person who launches the probe droid obviously we don't see the naturalist on hoth who you know remains after the battle of hoth to be with the tauntauns and but a lot of these people we do see on screen and we do see yeah, them even so briefly but we can come to the movie now with their additional stories thanks to this short story collection which is really awesome yeah and just yes yes and the perspective that they all have on this story is something i always like you know the the the, the interplay between the imperial officers early on when you know it's the ozel story when he's talking to piet and veers is there yeah with, screws up and like you know the opinion that veers has about ozzel is just terrific coloring into into the into the performances frankly that those actors are already given you know it's just sort of like finding everybody's subtext and making it text which is a lot of fun so for anybody who is interested in what's going on with penguin random house audio and with you in specific if you know you want to share that information (laughs) uh where should anybody check out the exciting further adventures of executive producer nick martorelli oh man well the exciting uh my exciting adventures are best followed on my twitter handle Mm. which is at nick martorelli and all of the books we've talked about are at penguinrandomhouseaudio.com. And uh, I think we have a Star Wars timeline up there of all the audiobooks that we've produced. And uh, all of the, the books are there as well. 
And I will link to those in the show notes for this episode, too, at SW7X7.com. Nick, thank you again so much for joining me on the show and for sharing your insights and expertise and passion for this whole process. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners do, too. Thank you, Alan. It's always a pleasure. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2020 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.